Welcome to Broad Gauge Gossips, the podcast where you can learn about the faculty of the Department of Military History in the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or U.S. Government. Well, hello, this is Dr. Angela Riotto, and I'm being a little guest host here because we're going to be interviewing Dr. Jonathan Abel, Associate Professor of History at DMH. Welcome. Thank you. We're used to hearing your voice on the podcast, but we actually haven't interviewed you yet and heard up here about your background. So tell us a little bit about your field and your research interests. Yeah, so I, I kind of wandered a little bit in history. I actually started as an English person, um, and I had my bachelor's in both history and English. Um, I didn't really want to be an English teacher, which is kind of what you do with an English degree. Um, so I ended up in history, um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do going into grad school. Um, I think most people who've been to a history grad school have probably had a similar experience, where there's uh, advising is kind of a hand wave. So I came in thinking that I might be a medievalist, actually, um, although probably a very, very bad idea because I didn't read Latin. Um, and I ended up doing what I do entirely by chance. So my first semester of grad school, I took, I signed up for two courses, a seminar on Roman history and a studies class on Nazi Germany. Uh, and so I, I went in, brand new grad student, had no idea what I was doing, went into the Nazi Germany class, and the professor spent most of the first class talking about how to navigate the Bundesarchiv website. Mm -hmm. So I went to the chair the next day and said, I don't speak German. I can't do this class. And it turns out he was, he was one of those professors. Um, great professor, just those professors. So he said, uh, all right, we have this new guy, and he does French history. Um, and his name is Dr. Michael Legiri. So he put me in that class, and I had taken French as my undergrad language, uh, which is required in Texas. You have to take two years of a language, which in hindsight was kind of dumb that I wasn't using. So I ended up studying uh, French Revolutionary Napoleonic history under uh, Mike Legere at the North Texas Military History Center. Um, so I have my master's and PhD actually from the Military History Center, which is one of the very few. In fact, to my knowledge, it's, it's, it's one of the only places that grants a degree specifically in military history, not just with a focus in military mm -hmm. history. Um, and over time, I, I, I wrote um, my, my graduate work on a, a theorist in the late 18th century named Guibert, and I've kind of drifted backwards in time. So I would describe myself now as a, a scholar of Louis XV and his army, kind of 18th century. Wow, fantastic. So for Louis XV, what do you actually focus on? Is it how he used the military, how the French state used the military? How does the military history degree inform what you study? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the, the, there's a lot of different answers to that. Um, I'm not strictly a military historian in the kind of drums and trumpets sense. I've never actually written any kind of operational accounts. Um, I started in theory, and, and I find the entire era fascinating, and not just the military side. I think Louis XV is kind of a criminally understudied uh, person and period. And, and unfortunately, a lot of what happens with him is we go from Louis XIV, longest reigning European monarch of any consequence, um, hugely influential figure, both militarily and otherwise. We jump to Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette, especially in the popular imagination, and of course it's the Revolution. 
And I really blame, I blame the revolutionaries and unfortunately a lot of revolutionary scholars for this, right? Because we're kind of just waiting for the revolution. Um, but but uh, he is a fascinating figure. Nobody writes about him. Um, the, the last Anglophone, you know, scholarly, semi-scholarly biography of him was written in the 50s. Um, second longest reigning French king, but nobody cares about him. Um, and, and so that's part, it's partly filling the gap, and it's part, I'm just fascinated by everything that happens during his reign. Um, so in terms of the army, he's, he is a military leader. He sees himself as a military leader. He actually leads the army in battle, unlike French kings. Wow. He commanded the army throughout the, the uh, Austrian succession, uh, when he gets a little older in the Seven Years' War, less so. Um, but that's, that's not a thing monarchs do in the 18th century. With the exception of Friedrich II in Prussia, monarchs generally don't lead their armies into battle, but, but Louis did. Um, and so it's just, it's a period that's a, it's a transition period, but it's also a period in its own right. So I think that deserves to be looked at. That's fantastic. So when you approach history, are you a um, military historian, a social historian, a cultural historian, a literary historian, or is there such thing as a royal historian? <laughs> well, I think the answer, as it should be for all historians, is yes. Um, I think we, we fetishize theses and we, we put ourselves in camps in, in ways that I think are harmful. Uh, and one of the main reasons for that is, you know, history for its own sake is fine. I, I think it's perfectly fine to study history just to study it. But, but we've done a very poor job over the last couple generations of communicating what we do to a wider public. And we've kind of ceded that space to people who, who don't have academic history backgrounds, whether they're journalists or, or other folks, um, who, who we accord the title of historian, rightly or wrongly, right? I'm thinking, the, you know, the Ron Chernow types. Um, and I think that by, by specializing ourselves so much and by fighting over what camp we belong to, and, you know, only our camp is valid, which unfortunately military history is prone to, um, I think we, we close ourselves off. So I'm fascinated by religious history. I love studying the Jansenists, um, with the exception of a couple of, of military theorists have nothing to do with the military. Um, and, and I'm fascinated by folklore, you know, the story of the beast of the Rhone River, right? Um, so I think we should all be, I think we as historians should all be in, in that place where, you know, category matters less than the project of, of uncovering history and its meaning. No, that's fabulous. Definitely an inspiration for historians. <laughs> so besides our Common Core and the AOC, what, which electives do you teach? And do you have a broad range that you teach? Yeah, so I, I teach several um, different electives and, and run a couple of different other projects. So I teach a class in Greek and Roman warfare, um, which was one of my comp fields. Even though you don't speak Latin? No, or Greek. Or Greek. Um, I teach a class on uh, basically French military history. Um, and I, I also co-teach a class on wargaming. We have a wargaming department here in the building. It's called the, the Director of Simulation Education. Um, and I inherited that from a colleague, and, and that's, a, that's been a fascinating kind of new area of teaching. Um, I also run our history MMAS program, and the MMAS is it's, it's a Master's of Military Arts and Sciences. It's kind of, the, um, it's, it's kind of the, the above and beyond master's degree that we grant here at CGSC. Um, and, and of course, I also run the, the podcast network. Which we're thankful you do. <laughs> So with your range of expertise and interests, does that inform how you approach the Common Core classes or the AOC courses? 
Uh, yes and no. I think we do a very good job here of building curricula for core and AOC. Um, it's not self-contained, it's not kind of insular, um, but I, I'm, I'm not sure it needs a lot of outside input. I think it's very well constructed to do what it does. So I'm not, I'm not the kind of instructor who, who feels the need to pull a war game in because I teach a war gaming class, right? Um, but at the same time, I think, I think to, to build on my earlier answer, I think the, the more well-rounded you can be, the more exposed you are to approaches and ideas from outside what you do, I think the better the historian you are. If nothing else, you're just simply more knowledgeable, right? And I think there's a great value in that. Yeah, and I think students appreciate hearing about different stories and different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So speaking about stories, do you have a favorite story from history that you would like to share? Yeah, I tend to, I have two answers to this question. So my absolute favorite history story is from Andrew Jackson, right? So it's the story of Andrew Jackson and Richard Lawrence. Uh, and, and the story is Andrew Jackson was the victim of the first presidential assassination attempt. And the assassin was a guy named Richard Lawrence. He was a painter, uh, which at the time in the 1830s involved lots of lead. And that, uh, whether that contributed or not, he was severely mentally ill. And he believed that he was the King of England, but he couldn't be the King of England unless Andrew Jackson were dead. Uh, how that makes sense, I have no idea. Imagine you have to eat a lot of lead to reach that point. <laughs> But he decides that he's gonna go kill the president. So Jackson is, he's at a funeral, and I forget exactly if he's leave, coming or going, but he's at the Capitol. So Lawrence walks up to him with a pistol and pulls the trigger, and it doesn't work. Pulls out another pistol, pulls the trigger, it doesn't work. Well, that's embarrassing. Right. So now we're at this point where an assassin is next to the president having tried to shoot him twice. Jackson almost kills him with his cane. And it's actually Jackson who has to be restrained. So. The summary is, in the first presidential assassination attempt, the president almost killed the assassin, which is a really good microcosm of Andrew Jackson. You know, he'd been shot 19 times. He had, he had this whole long history of dueling. And, of course, we also have to acknowledge he's responsible for policies like Indian removal. Um, but it's just this, this hilarious story. And it's, it's, uh, I taught lots of survey classes before I, I got to CGSC. And it is the single story that students remember the most. It's the story of Andrew Jackson and Richard Lawrence. Fantastic. The, the other one is Richard Nixon. Uh, Richard Nixon is our best president because Richard Nixon is our funniest president. So my second favorite story involves him when it's it, he decides at 4.30 a.m., he's drunk like he, he often was, he decides he's going to go out to a protest on the National Mall and talk to the hippies and find out why the hippies don't like him. So you have Richard Nixon wandering around the mall drunk trying to talk to young people. This is the same Richard Nixon who once called the Pentagon and ordered them to nuke the Soviet Union. I wonder if he wore a suit. I think he did. I think I think Nixon was very much a suit wearer. Mm -hmm. Like a um, suit pajama wearer for 30 a.m. drive. No, I think he actually probably literally slept in a suit. Slept that in a suit. That seems like a Nixon thing. But yeah, that's, I, I love Nixon. I love all the Nixon stories because he was just he was insane. I think those two stories even illustrate how of a wide range you have because they're two American stories from two very different time periods in American history. So that are, that's just so fun. Um, and I will not be able to get the image of Richard Nixon walking around the mall talking to hippies out of my brain for the rest of the day. So Drunk thank Nixon. you so much. Drunk Nixon. Yeah, and that comes from having taught. I, I started teaching in 2011. I've taught at a lot of the schools in the Dallas-Fort Worth area around North Texas. Um, community colleges, which are fantastic places, a lot of the universities, and a lot of it was the American History lecture series, right? Um, despite not being an Americanist, despite somehow never having taken a college course in American history, 
um, I, I came to love those courses. And those are the kinds of stories that students love, too. Awesome. So, yeah, so what is your, so you walk through your education background, but what is your kind of career background? Yeah, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time adjuncting, um, both as a grad student and in between um, being employed. Um, so I've taught a lot of adjunct courses, uh, most, again, mostly American history, because that's what the need is. Uh, Western Civ, too, um, and some upper-level stuff, a couple grad courses in European history. Um, I spent a year teaching dual credit classes in high schools around the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is an interesting, uh, it's a very interesting uh, uh, program and, and, and job for people who tend to teach only tertiary. Um, and I've done, I mean, like, like a lot of grad students, a lot of odd jobs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, been an overnight diner cook and a lifeguard and, you know, a dozen other things, the, the kinds of experiences we all pick up. Wow, that is truly, that's truly amazing. And we're happy to have you as part of this department. One last question as we close up. If, what is your favorite book besides your own that you would like to share with us? <laughs> my books are not my own favorite books. Um, if I had to pick a book that I think historians should read, it is R.R. Palmer's 12 Who Ruled. Because it's an excellent study in historiography. He starts at the macro level. You're in the Committee for Public Safety in 1793. You're understanding you know, national policy, military policy. And then he follows committee members out on their missions to the provinces. And you see how these policies affect actual people on a day-to-day basis and how the French peasant, the French urban artisan is responding to these policies. Um, and it's a classic, and it's, you know, French revolutionary scholars are probably all nodding because they get it. They, it's, a, it's a textbook that shows up. Um, now, in terms of favorite book to read, uh, I, I spent a lot of time growing up reading sci-fi, so I, I, I would have to default to Dune. I think, it's, I think Dune, with the possible exception of Great Gatsby, Dune might be the best book ever written. Um, and I think I think it's a fascinating book. It's not for everybody, um, but it's it's a fascinating book that somehow is both a good sci-fi story and a lot of um, interesting philosophy. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to put it on our list. Well, thank you, Dr. Abel. It was great to have you, and I hope you have a good day, everybody. Thank you. Please be sure to check out our other podcast, A Confused Heap of Facts, where we sit down with military historians from the Department of Military History and special guests to talk about topics in military history.